You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. We gather here as a people of many stories, many spiritual languages, many longings, many places in our life journeys. May our time together strengthen each one of us individually, and may we touch the strength that can only come collectively. Please breathe with me. Just take a moment to arrive. Let's take three deep breaths. And in this collective breathing, we acknowledge that Minnesota is located on the traditional, ancestral, and contemporary lands of indigenous peoples. As people residing on this land that was cared for and called home by the Anishinaabe, Dakota, and Northern Cheyenne peoples, and other native peoples from time immemorial, we offer this land acknowledgement affirm tribal sovereignty, and hold ourselves and our affiliations accountable to American Indian peoples and nations. Also, we acknowledge and honor the Black, Asian, and immigrant peoples who built the wealth and infrastructure of this land, much of it as racialized slaves. This traumatic legacy, which exists today in the USA where slavery still flourishes legally as mass incarceration. We commit to building a just and equitable world together with and for people of all colors. In solidarity with all of our relatives, we commit to ensuring a planet more secure, harmonious, safe, and life-giving for all all people, the four-leggeds, the birds, the fish, the trees, the plants, the insects, the soil and minerals, the water, lakes and streams, the sun and stars and moon.
Please join me in the words of our covenant as Eleanor lights our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. My name is Liz Farmer, and I am the membership coordinator here at First Universalist. This morning, I share with you the words of the poet, Hannah Stevenson. As you stand at the edge of the forest and stare into it, every tree at the edge will blow a little extra oxygen towards you. It has been proven. Leaves have admitted it. The pines I have known have been especially candid. One said that all breath in this world is roped together, that breathing is the most ancient language. And with that ancient language, I use it to introduce myself as Darren, child of Kevin and Donna Marie, who uses she, they pronouns, and is president of the congregation. And I'd like to share that trees may look like solidary individuals, but the ground beneath tells us a different story. Through chemical signals and fungi, there are is this worldwide wood web of partnership beneath the ground. Part of what it means to be in this church is to know that we are community, that we come from nature, that we are part of nature, and we come together to love, care for, and support each other in all beings. We come from any longings, identities, needs, resources, stories, and ways of expressing ourselves. Through this network of our beingness, we're saying we belong to each other. And that we've been that way for 160 years. People have been saying yes to placing love and care at the center of their lives by becoming members of this congregation. So today, it is our joy to warmly welcome the newest members of our First Universalist Church. Becoming a member of this congregation means publicly and ritually acknowledging that we need each other, that there is more to the life of the Spirit than we can each muster on our own. We need a community to journey with us through times of transition and heartbreak. We need a community to keep challenging us to act for justice and multiply our love. We want to be part of something that matters. As planted acorns sprout into saplings and over many years transform into trees, they are constantly talking, trading resources, and taking care of each other. By plugging into the network inside and around their roots, trees can share resources with each other. In this way, we need a community to orient us toward living with depth, honesty, humility, and compassion. 
Through fungi, roots, trunks, and leaves, the forest breathes. It listens, sends messages, shares resources, makes space for each other, for the branches, and witnesses the life cycle. At First Universalist, membership is an affirmation that you are casting your lot with this community that is committed to living our values in the world, that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, that listens to where love is calling us next and acts for justice with humility, bravery, and compassion. Because you believe that more life and more love is the way of living out these commitments together with other human beings. Will the young people and new members please come up and join us in the chancel now? Somebody's got to take a picture of this. And if anyone else is missing, please feel free to come on up. So, us established trees provide younger trees with nutrients, giving them a better chance of survival. And younger trees provide us, yes, even little acorns, provide us, older established trees, a chance to encourage us to grow. And new members, we are grateful that your journey has brought you here and that you've decided to make a commitment to join your life with this greater faith community. So, new members, friends, when you became new members of this church, you agreed to journey and transform with us. In your gift bags, which will be passed up to you shortly, you will see that you will find there are seeds in the bags that sprout in a jar, so no gardening is needed, and a chalice, which was decorated by folks of all ages in this community, which represents the light, the spilled light that is needed to grow to invite us towards its warmth. In the presence of this gathered congregation, do you affirm your commitment to share with us your joys and the responsibilities of membership. If you do, please answer, we do. We do. New members, you are not now, nor will you ever be alone on this journey. You're in the company of those who have gone before and all those who are currently members. In the gathered body of the congregation this morning, I know that there are many different relationships to First Universalist. Visitors, guests, friends, congregation, would those present who are members please rise in body or spirit? Members of First Universalist Church, do you welcome these new members as you were once welcomed? as equal members of this congregation, of this faith, and of our shared spiritual journey? If so, please say, we do. We do. The ancient language of the trees is our language, too. 
We are part of a great web of connection and life, listening for the call of community, for the longing of one another that is mutual, and we all at once are acorns and trees, growing and transforming, giving and receiving, singing, cooking together, holding steady, rooted. A network creates a thriving community between individuals giving, receiving, and growing. Thank you. And new members were getting acorns. If you remember in the summertime, we all got some acorns. Mm -hmm. So this joyous celebration continues in the social hall after service with treats and Earth Day activities for all ages. And right now, please join me in welcoming these beloved new members to this faith community. Thank you, acorns, big and small.
Church, let us pray. Let us imagine we drop a stone into a quiet pond and the concentric circles ripple out. Every breath we take is another ripple of love and connection. As we sink into our bodies even deeper, we feel breath and love move through our bodies like a ripple moves through a body of water, expanding, widening. Our own body is the first concentric circle. Let us take a moment to notice what is true and real for us and where we have joys and where we have sorrows and how finely they are woven together. We take a moment to offer ourselves love and to receive it. Breathe. In the next circle, we connect to our families and friends. We hold them in love and connection too. We know they have many joys and many sorrows, and we hold these alongside them. We love them, and we feel their love returning to us. We breathe. And in the circle that is this community of communities, this church, we hold the beginnings and the endings and the life that happens in between. Let's breathe. We hold in our hearts the high school seniors and their families as they enter these last months of school. Many are in the midst of making decisions about what comes next in their lives, and we hold you all in this exciting and tender time. And we breathe. The concentric circles grow ever wider. They encompass our larger communities. Love and connection flows from the center, ever expanding. Our circle encompasses the earth and all its creatures all our friends and relations. The ducks and the otter, the spiders and the worms, the grass and the flowers, and all the living things, the acorns, the oak. The love in our heart grows and builds, and the earth loves us back. In the words of Robin Wall Kimmerer shared last week, knowing that you love the earth changes you, activates you to protect and defend and celebrate. But when you feel that the earth loves you in return, that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond. We rest in that sacred bond now. We know ourselves, 
loved and loving. We breathe, and together we pray. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May truth be told. May grief be shared. May joy break through. And may love make every suffering bearable for us all. Amen. Let's tell a story together. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you will recognize it, so I encourage you to help me out. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then God created the sun and the moon and the stars and night and day and, and unicorns. Thank you. What else did God create? Acorns. Acorns? All of the creatures of the earth. All of the things, right? And at the end of all of this creation, he created Adam and Eve. Eve. <laughs> or Steve. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's very respectful, really. In the story that we're telling, God created Adam and Eve. And God placed all of his creation in a garden, a perfect world. And there was only one rule. Don't eat the apple. And then what happened? They ate the apple. Mm -hmm. And they were cast from the perfect world. They were cast from the garden. And an angel with a fiery sword was set 
to guard the entrance. And Adam and Eve and all of their descendants had to negotiate sickness and death and hate and hunger from then forevermore. Whew. Let's breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know some of you grew up with that and other stories in the Bible. And maybe we need to take a moment to notice our body or to look around this room to remind ourselves that we're right here, right now, not back then or anywhere else. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you another creation story. Then we're going to compare the two. And then I'm going to say something about why creation stories matter and what that has to do with Earth Week and environmental justice. This other story is an indigenous story about a woman who fell from the sky. And I got it from this book, The Truth About Stories, A Native Narrative, by Thomas King, a native Canadian English professor and author. And um, he gave these originally as the CBC 2003 Massey Lectures, and then they made them into the book, and they also recorded him when he was giving the lectures, and in the virtual order of service, there is a link to said recording, and I highly, 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 highly encourage you to go listen to Thomas King deliver this lecture. Truly, I'm, I'm just downloading a small part of it for you all today, but you need to receive the whole full wisdom of it. It is wonderful. All right. Back at the beginning of imagination goes this story. The world we know as Earth was nothing but water, while above the Earth, somewhere in space, was a larger, more ancient world. And on that world was a woman who was too curious for her own good. She was so curious that one day when she was digging a hole, she kept digging and digging and digging until she dug all the way through the world to the other side. And then she saw this big hole and she said, well, that's curious. And she stuck her head in and a little farther and a little farther, well, she fell. Mm -hmm. On Earth, all the water animals were hanging out, having a good time. Fortunately, one of them looked up at the right moment and saw this woman, and Thomas King calls her Charm, so I'm going to call her Charm, too. The animals saw Charm falling, and the ducks flew up, and they caught her, and they slowly brought her down. But since there was nowhere to put her, because there was no land, they set her on top of the turtle. And that worked for a little bit, but then they realized they had a new challenge. Charm was pregnant, and the back of the turtle is not the best place to raise a family. So Charm told the animals, we need magic mud from the bottom of the ocean. And the animals said, okay, let's have a contest to see who can get the mud. And they did. And animal after animal tried diving as deep as they could. But they would come back up, shaking their heads and saying, nope, I don't think there's a bottom. I couldn't find anything. Finally, 
Otter was the only animal left. So Otter took a deep breath and dove down, down, down. And she was gone for four days. Everyone wondered what had happened. On the fourth day, Otter's body floated up. And everyone said, oh no, Otter drowned trying to get to the mud. So they heaved up Otter's body to the back of the turtle. And then they noticed that in Otter's paws, there was indeed a dark, gooey thing they had never seen before. Is that mud, they asked. Yes, said Charm, that's mud. Otter found the mud, said the animals. And then Otter, who wasn't dead after all, but just very, very tired and out of breath, said, of course I found the mud. This magic better be worth it. <laughs> and it was. And Charm created a muddy, muddy world. And then she gave birth to twins, one right-handed and one left-handed. I'm going to pause the story for a moment to mention that in this story, the twins are male and female. And I choose to understand that as two ends of the continuum on many different ways of expressing our gender. One twin flattened the mud and made beautiful prairies. And the other twin stomped around and made valleys and mountains. And the twins kept working together, one of them creating things that were nicely organized, and the other making them a little more chaotic, a little more creative. One twin created roses, and the other one put thorns on it. One created summer, and the other created winter. One created sunshine, and the other created shadows. And the animals helped too, suggesting that trees should have nuts and fruits, and appreciating when the forests weren't trees all lined up in a row, but more interesting and mysterious in places. And now I'm going to read you the end of the story directly, because it's so lovely. Have we forgotten anything? The twins asked the animals. What about human beings, said the animals. Do you think we need human beings? No. <laughs> Why not, said the twins. And quick as they could, the right-handed twin created women, and the left-handed twin created men. They don't look too bright said the animals. We hope they won't be a problem. Don't worry, said the twins. You guys are going to get along just fine. The animals and the humans and the twins and charm looked around the world that they had created. Boy, they said, this is as good as it gets. This is one beautiful world. Mm -hmm. Is that not a lovely creation story? Doesn't it feel different in our bodies from the Judeo-Christian version? Why does that matter? And how do our creation stories inform our relationship with the natural world and our sacred trust to salvage the world for the children of our children? Well, in his first lecture, Thomas King gives us a scathing analysis of the difference. 
And I'm just going to read it for you, straight up. Take a deep breath. What if the creation story in Genesis had featured a flawed deity who was understanding and sympathetic rather than autocratic and rigid? Someone who, in the process of creation, found herself lost from time to time and in need of advice. Someone who was willing to accept a little help with the more difficult decisions. What if the animals had decided on their own names? What if Adam and Eve had simply been admonished for their foolishness? I love you, God could have said, but I'm not happy with your behavior. Let's talk this over. Try to do better next time. What kind of a world might we have created with that kind of story? Unfortunately, by the time we arrived in the wilderness, broke and homeless, the story of being made in God's image, of living in paradise, of naming the animals, must have gone to our heads. For while we weren't the strongest, or the fastest, or the fiercest creatures on the planet, we were certainly, as it turned out, the most arrogant. God's chosen people, the Alpha and the Omega, masters of the universe. It is this conceit we continue to elaborate as we fill up our tanks at the gas station, the myth we embrace as we bolt our doors at night the romance we pursue as we search our guidebooks for just the right phrase, the lie we dangle in front of our appetites as we chase progress to the grave. That's an indictment, all right. Yes, good. I heard someone breathe. Let's all breathe. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in the room that when faced with the climate crisis wants to build a blanket fort and play Candy Crush forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Yeah. All right, so we're going to do it again. We're going to tell a story together. First, we're going to do the doom and gloom story. Tell me the doom and gloom story about the climate crisis. I'll start. It's too late. The problem is too big. Fossil fuels own Washington. Doom and gloom. Come on. Water wars. Capitalism. Colonialism. Profits. Greenwashing. Brainwashing, not greenwashing. Brainwashing. I was like, what is greenwashing? Okay. Yeah, brainwashing. What else? Plastic Island, war, war. Inequity. inequity, dead zones in the sea, monoculture, not my responsibility, glaciers melting, racism, racism. Annihilation. annihilation, climate refugees. Okay, that's enough to mingle. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, shake. Shake it out. Like, really, shake it out. Whew. <laughs> okay.
Now it's there, thank you. It's important to name it. It's important to name it. And here's the thing. The only way that I can do my part to make sure that the children of my children even have a world to live in is that I need to believe it is possible. Just like with immigration justice, just like with racial justice, with reproductive justice, with our fight to make a safe and just world for people of all abilities and all gender identities, we need to be able to imagine it. We need to be able to believe in it first. We need to be clear about what we are fighting for. What we do counts. It really does. Maybe you don't know what you want to do. Maybe you don't know what small thing you can do next. Guess what? The environmental justice team knows. Guess what? They're downstairs in the social hall today with all kinds of activities. You need to come on down to figure out what you're going to do next. Yeah? Yeah. And it is very helpful for me to know what to do. But before doing, I need to be believing. I need to look at the stories and meanings that I make about myself and my relationship with all of creation. I need to hold fast and fierce to the possibility that a new world is possible, that change and transformation are real, that my efforts are worth it. Maybe you need this too. I end my message to you today with the words of the poet Aurora Levin Morales. And I invite you once again to breathe. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roque Dalton. Altogether, they have more death than we, but altogether, we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield, unless we lay down our souls to become them, and then we will lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning, the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot. The muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin. The sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back seat of a car and the children who suck on stones nest 
under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win as if it were your child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. Then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is a scarcely credible rumor that the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams. Make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway in history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands, share water, keep imagining so that we and the children of our children's children may live. Amen and blessed be. You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.